0: M S W Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial
1: relationships with any Russian oligarchs.
0: That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is.
1: I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
0: Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, Alison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. And we are reading The Reckoning, Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal by our good friend, Mary Trump. In episode one, we covered the introduction in chapter one. Last week, on episode two, we covered chapters two and
1: three. And today, we're going to go over chapters four and five, pages about 75 through 100. Not about, exactly. Uh, chapter four is called Abandon All Hope, Ye Who Enter Here. And chapter five is called Suffering in Silence. And that's the first chapter of part three of the book called American Exceptionalism.
0: Yeah, and this is going to be a pretty short episode, Dana. These are, these are two quick chapters. Um, I'll give you a, a refresher about how last week ended uh, with a quote, after three years, we were already beaten down, and then came the plague. That's that's how we that's the up note we left uh, uh, last week with. Uh, so, chapter three: "Abandon all hope, ye who enter here." A, a nod to Dante's Inferno or, or Pirates of the Caribbean, whichever way you want to. Whichever look at you it, prefer. Uh, begins with something Donald said in early 2020. He said, "It's also more deadly than even your most strenuous flus. This is deadly stuff." But then he also tweeted in all caps, we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. And then Mary reminds us that unfortunately, that first part, the one where he admits COVID is very deadly, was made
1: privately. (laughs) Yeah, that was a big problem. We didn't hear about it until months, months and months later when Woodward, remember, he finally released his book about eight months later. This was the first book. He also told Woodward, and this is a quote, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down because I don't want to create panic. Uh, yeah, leave it to Woodward, who's about to release another book, with, and that Hardy has. This is Peril, uh, in which we learn all kinds of shit that would have been super useful about three years ago. Yeah, or, you know,
0: even last year, even before yeah. the second impeachment. And some of that Woodward shit would have been really useful for the first impeachment, too. Um, for, you know, from which Donald had just emerged unscathed as yeah. COVID hit, the second impeachment trial. Quote, almost overnight, the growing dread became uh, an intimate terror that disrupted sleep and altered my and our very experience of time. Ugh. Yeah, that's heavy. That's it a quote from the book. Yeah. And, and it, I remember that time too, Dana. We talked to Mary about it too. It was just, it, al- it altered our experience of time. We couldn't remember how long March 2020 lasted? It was just banana. a year.
1: A year. She talks about that black veil and not really being able to see past it. Mm-hmm. So after watching what was happening in Italy, because um, we saw a huge breakout with COVID then, and knowing what we were in for with you know Donald at the helm of the country at the time, Mary found out uh, she'd been in contact with two people who had come down with COVID. So she quarantined from her daughter, who was home from college, and living two flights up from her. So Mary, had, she says she hung up some plastic sheets she bought at a local hardware store in basically a panic and then lived in the basement for two weeks. She said it was hard to process the news that painful death by suffocation awaited far too many people. I thought often about my father because just like him, hundreds and then thousands of people were dying without anybody who loved them present to hold their hand. This was a very sad time.
0: Yeah. And, and, and then she describes that where she lived at the time, which is Nassau County, had the third worst COVID rate in the country. And, and how her friends in Manhattan were hearing constant ambulance sirens and like the constant hum of refrigerated trucks lined up outside of hospitals and morgues. And she thought it was hard to see how any cure could be worse. Thinking back to Donald's tweet, yeah. we can't let the you know, cure be worse the pro- you know than the problem. Mary then makes a very existential point that I've also thought a lot about, and I've been thinking about this since, you know, for the, since the 80s, that we're at a point, you know, with climate change that the Earth is simply in survival mode with us and trying to mitigate what we've done to it and continue to do to it. So uh, she doesn't say this, but I, I've thought about it. You know, we're the virus. Absolutely. And things like SARS are the Earth's immune system, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, But regardless of anyone's beliefs, Mary says climate change and COVID are here and they're going to continue to stay here and they're going to ravage the planet, whether you believe in them or not.
1: Okay, so why now? This is what Mary asks at this point. Why now? Since it's been a century since our last pandemic, why now? And she talks about how when Trump got into the White House, he threw out the playbook. So McConnell said he'd received no briefs. Now, former Obama... Disease officials said they briefed the incoming administration extensively and no one was listening. And Mary adds that if Hillary had been in office, she'd have pulled out all the stops to contain COVID. We all know this and agree with this. And then she adds, but anyone but Donald would have done it. I say this over and over. If anyone else had been president of the United States when COVID happened, we would not be where we are today.
0: Period. Yeah, even Mitt Romney or Pence or McCain, even, even some Republican we don't like. Absolutely. Uh, Would still have (laughs) done something. But Donald is uniquely positioned to not only do nothing but to sabotage the whole thing. She says, quote, Donald's behavior functionally lacked empathy and stemmed from his fear of being associated with weakness. Uh, And increased testing, we know, would reveal the scope of his failures. So he didn't support testing. He, in fact, came out and said testing causes COVID pretty much. Uh, But ironically... His effort to hide his failures on COVID would eventually cause him to be responsible for everything that followed, right? Including the collapse of the economy, millions of jobs lost, mass death, and what Mary calls the fraying of our social fabric. He simply is unable to think two steps ahead. And that, you know, his hand, his mishandling of COVID is what got him, you know, one of the things- uh,
1: Lost the election. Lost him
0: the election. Yeah. And, and he, he can't think two steps ahead. And as as we'll get into here in a minute here, he's incapable of being a hero.
1: Absolutely. So at this point, Mary uh, starts to go into the economy and how Donald basically failed there as well. She opens on page eighty-one with the two thousand and seventeen tax scam, which gifted wealthy the wealthy billions, billions of dollars in tax cuts on the shoulders of the middle class. You know, then when it became clear that when the middle class lost their jobs because of the pandemic, there'd be no safety net, and we all had to go back to work, especially underpaid essential workers. They had to, and the Republicans referred to us as the human capital stock which is just a horrifying statement, Donald ordered industries like meatpacking to go back to work despite out-of-control rates of infection in, the, in, in all of the, the warehouses.
0: Yeah, in the warehouses and the meatpacking plants. And then right before 2020, right before the election, uh, Meadows admitted that they weren't going to be able to control the pandemic and that they needed to focus on vaccines and therapeutics and other mitigations. A- and as time went on, the message became, we live in a free society. You know, as as Donald's need for attention became more important than saving lives, Mary says. And and that's when the Republican Party, you know, started focusing on how, you know, they need to own guns and flout COVID precautions uh, because, you know, you should be able to do what you want without concern for how it impacts others. It's, it's all about you.
1: Yeah. And the worst part of it, the worst part is that it didn't have to be this way. Right. We just spoke about that. No one, no one would have left Donald's base if he had pushed for masks or embraced any common sense response to COVID. Uh, He would have been seen as a hero by his base and probably gotten more people behind him. But as Mary said so astutely, she pointed out in her first book, Donald is incapable of being a hero because that requires humility or at least an acknowledgement of a problem. You can't be a hero without a problem to solve.
0: Yeah, and it's a problem of his own making. And so admitting that there's a problem would be admitting that he, he's a failure. And, and she says here, Donald is constitutionally incapable of leading. He is constitutionally incapable of making the right choice. If in any way, real or imagined, doing so might conflict with his self-interest. And because COVID hit blue states first and was found to affect communities of color disproportionately, it was even easier for him to make that choice, unquote. So Donald just let COVID win. He told Axios it is what it is, you know, and all the while spreading uh, AAPI hate by referring to it as the China virus. Uh, He told Fox News that he didn't think that wearing a mask would make it disappear. And Mary points out, and this is an amazing thing I didn't even think about, that she says he couldn't wear a mask because giving credit to a piece of cloth would take something away from him. <laughs> that zero-sum game she talks about so much in book 1 is so evident in that. If he had worn masks, it would have it would have he in his mind shown that a piece of cloth handled the handled the pandemic better than he did.
1: Totally. Absolutely. And then Donald successfully detached the economy from COVID by hammering the point that the economy was more important than people's health. He took us that he actually took that a step further by saying if we didn't open back up and risk our lives, the risk of mental health problems, suicide, drug addiction, alcoholism would be way worse than COVID deaths. Now, again, the cure is worse than the problem. Now, this is another quote. Considering it was his behavior that prolonged the lockdown, this was hypocritical at best and most extreme form of gaslighting at worst. And it was. It was making us all crazy listening to it.
0: Yeah, he's li- they're literally saying, You're human capital stock. Go out and work. We need you to make the billionaires even richer, even though we totally scammed you on the tax cut stuff and none of it trickled down. But you have to go back to work. It's better than being an alcoholic and committing suicide at home because you're sad. That's literally the gaslighting that was going on. And the worst so part. Yeah, so gross. Yeah, it, it's Donald's ineptitude. Uh, eroded it eroded faith in the government right and he successfully pointed that blame on the infection infectious not his administration but the infectious disease experts like fauci and school boards requiring masks government officials that were actually doing things to mitigate covid death the cdc the hhs and then when trump tried to control the messaging there by installing caputo and pressuring redfield all data tracking And the means to report it fell apart. We couldn't. We didn't even know how many people were were dying of COVID at that point.
1: Not to mention, I mean, every places like Florida were faking numbers. There's no way we could have followed any of this. So Mary closes the chapter by talking about how the United States experienced a deep sense of unity after 9/11. We were traumatized, but back then we received the message that we were all in it together. Now. But in January 2021, even though more people were dying daily than during the 9-11 attacks, this is a quote, COVID had been one of the most divisive tragedies in American history, all because one man didn't have the decency to wear a mask. And I just want to do a little side note, just because I know our listeners are so in tune to this kind of stuff. I normally agree with everything Mary says. The only point I want to make right here, A.G., is that after 9-11, we didn't all come together. There was a tremendous amount of Muslim hate And bigotry during that time because the the lies, the lies were being told about who attacked us and who we were going to go after and things like that. I believe as a country, we came together, but there was still some problems after that. And I don't want that to go unnoticed because I know our listeners won't either.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, we all came together as some people came together for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you're right. The the one man didn't have a decency to wear a mask. You know, that's so sad. And it's terrifying how much power that one totally inept asshole had. Yeah. And and once he lost the election, the federal government's uh, conversation on covid ended. Mary points out there was no leadership, no progress. No more presidential briefings, which actually is probably a good thing, she says. Uh, and, and we were suffering a mass casualty every single day in this country. And Donald had 75 more days to oh, do that geez. damage. And he did.
1: He did. He, and then he pivoted to the big lie after that, which was uh, more catastrophe. And his motive wasn't only to win at all costs, but also revenge and destruction. He was pissed. He was being a baby. And she said, more dangerous than a straight-up sociopath. Donald is much worse than that. He's someone with a gaping wound where his soul should be. What a fucking quote. I know. More (sighs) dangerous than a straight-up sociopath. Donald is much worse than that. He's someone with a gaping wound where his soul should be. Which brings us to part three of the book on page 89 called American Exceptionalism. So let's take a quick break before we get to this chapter.
0: Sounds good. Everybody, we'll be right back.
1: Hey everybody, it's Allison. Thanks for supporting the MSW Book
0: Club. I found an incredible website and some amazing snacks you have to try. Nuts.com, it is the best kept secret of savvy snackers across the country. They have an incredible variety of high quality delicious snacks available like white chocolate toffee cashews. I love the toffee part. Bourbon pecans, crystallized ginger and honey sesame sticks. Nuts.com isn't just for nut lovers though. It is your one-stop online pantry shop for all your baking needs. They have so many tasty snacks and pantry items including candies, dried fruits, baking mixes, pastas, and more. I get all kinds of goodies from nuts.com. It is a simple and convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy nuts, dried fruit, flowers, grains, beans and so many other high-quality foods deliver straight to your door. With over 4,000 products to choose from, including delicious, healthy, kid-friendly snacks and dried strawberries and custom trail mix, the strawberries are amazing. It's incredible. Plus, they have all the raw, organic, roasted, salted, and candied nuts you can imagine. Even chocolate dipped. Plus, gluten-free and vegan options, too. With super-fast delivery, it's so convenient. Most orders ship the same day. It gets there fast. And new Nuts.com customers get free shipping on your first order when you text the word MSW to 64000. So text MSW to 64000 to get free shipping on your first order from Nuts.com. One more time, that's MSW to 64000. Terms apply. Available at Nuts.com slash terms. All right, everybody, welcome back. Let's dig into the first chapter of part three. It's chapter five, which starts on page 91. It's called Suffering in Silence. And Mary opens with, it is a truism that winners write history and at the heart of our American system of government are an unacknowledged paradox and a false paradigm.
1: Yes, indeed. Now, the paradox is the simultaneous concept of liberty and the Declaration of Independence in the juxtaposition to the embrace of slavery in the Constitution. So interesting. And the paradigm is the myth that there's such a thing as, quote, race, while there exists a fixed hierarchy with whites at the top. Now, that has led to two tracks, one based in fact and the other based in a myth of white supremacy, meaning the denial of white supremacy. So the pressing need to ignore it exists and pretend our national traumas never happened.
0: Yeah, that's that's like and if you don't have the book, this is where you need to get the book and read this on page ninety one. Because you're it I had to read that like six times before it it sunk in. It's there's so many like incredible observations and there's so much depth to the paradox and the paradigm that she's talking about that you're going to want to maybe pause right here and read that passage a few times absolutely so it really sinks in and she points out a terrible irony here that white supremacy excluded blacks from society while forcing native americans to assimilate and she continues by reminding us that while many northerners were against slavery Many were still racists because of the relentless justification for slavery, that propaganda that just kept being fed to people to justify slavery for decades and decades and decades. And so while they thought slavery was wrong, they had this innate racism. You know, from from hearing that for so yeah. long and a and huge scope of reconstruction, what they were supposed to do in reconstruction the, the, was unimaginable, because in 12 short years. Blacks were supposed to prove their worth without any assistance and, in fact, a lot of resistance in the face of deeply ignored racism. And the, so the project was doomed to fail. And by the end of it, the, black people had j- basically been re-enslaved through sharecropping and, uh, uh, you know, et
1: cetera. Mm-hmm. And Mary, then she also starts to go into the Jim Crow period here and about how black Americans continued to lose what they had and suffer. And those who had achieved, against all odds, any, any modicum of autonomy or agency found themselves having to watch every move they made once again. And she says here, fear of doing the wrong thing pervaded the lives of blacks and ground down any sense of safety, of security, because in the end, the wrong thing was black existence. That is also an incredibly powerful quote.
0: Yeah. I mean, just imagine thinking, always wondering if you're doing the wrong thing when your existence is, is what the wrong thing is. Yeah. It's so true. And she goes on to say the only way to understand, as far as we possibly can, uh, the impact of the trauma of slavery, we have to put it in context. And this is where Mary talks about trauma impacting our DNA. And thereby becoming hereditary. I had never, I I hadn't read this and now I have something more to research. PTSD symptoms, you know, can include intrusive memories, fight or flight, avoidance, panic. And if untreated, it can significantly impact your ability to function. And according to Judith Herman, PTSD can be a consequence of, quote, totalitarian control over a prolonged period. And Dr. Joy DeGruy, who introduced the concept of a post-traumatic slave syndrome, which is a condition which exists when a population has experienced multigenerational trauma resulting from centuries of slavery and continues to experience oppression and institutional racism today.
1: Absolutely. And here's something I also hadn't heard of, the theory of epigenetics, which says that trauma can profoundly impact our bodies, that markers can be placed in our DNA. Which, like you said, Ag means trauma can be passed down to generation, creating a basically a predisposition to PTSD. Wow, I
0: never thought of that before, and now I need to read more into epigenetics because you know when a, when a population like that, you know, according to Degruy, has experienced these multi generational traumas because of centuries of slavery. To know that it can impact your DNA is something I hadn't thought of. And we, and we get into the most likely cause of violence against Black people since the Civil War. This is where she, uh, Mary talks about this now, which is the success of Black people. B- b- successful Black people is what causes violence against Black people. The destruction of successful Black communities, for example. And the limitations that white supremacy put on the ability of Black communities to sustain a presence in Southern decision-making institutions, you know, that, that was huge. And ever since, Black prosperity has been has been punished since then.
1: And the idea that black people had to try 10 times as hard to achieve one-tenth as much is evident throughout history. The 1921 Tulsa massacre was a direct result of the white hatred of black success, period. Blacks who survived were put in internment camps, and for decades history failed to record it. And It was not the first nor the last racially motivated mass murder in America.
0: Yeah, no, and you know when when Mary says that you know black people try ten times as hard to achieve one tenth as much. I you know I remember even as recently as Obama being president, how careful he had to be and what every he, word, what he probably wasn't able to accomplish, so as not to you know upset anyone about anything. Um and again it's just you know as mary said it's something that i can't know i can't you know i can't know
1: i also think and this isn't something mary's talked about and this is just me hypothesizing so just take it with a grain of salt but just as the markers can be passed down in our dna i do believe and we can have a long conversation about this at some point that white guilt is also passed down from generation to generation from slave owners where that 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 feeling of people are gonna just assume that I'm racist because I come from you know, these southern families that generation back and generation back generation and it has people on their hackles. It's almost like you're innately ready to defend yourself against something you don't actually believe or that's instilled in you, but it somehow has been passed on over and over and over on the other side. It's, it's just a really interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, and it also would allow you to perpetuate the white supremacy because exactly. it's a comfortable system for you as a white person to exist in. Uh-huh. You know that, that denial is strong, and Indeed. denial is the stepchild of, of defensiveness.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I um, just we have a moment of discussion. I was doing a trip in Germany. I was working in Germany, and I had to go on tours with the guests of the the travel company I work for. And there were some heavy tours, A.G. We were, you know, touring some of the, there was a concentration camp, but they also took us to a prison uh, where the Jews had been held um, underground. And our poor tour guide, and I know uh, the only reason I'm making light of this is the poor tour guide, I guess his grandfather was an SS officer, so this poor boy, every time he started to talk, would cry and apologize to everybody. And, because he carried on this guilt from what his grandfather had done. And and I don't know if he thought people were going to look at him like, you're part of this, you know, you continue this. He, his, his deep sorrow for what his family had done in the past, he carried that with him, that guilt, to the point where I literally had to say, can I give you a hug? Because he couldn't get himself together. And then part of me was like, maybe you should get a different line of work. You were giving tours in Germany, day in and day out, and you need to heal. This
0: boy needed to heal. And what makes what makes it different what what makes him feel regret and remorseful open shame to the point of tears that we don't that we don't have over here but we can't as a country it's a really damn good question i think a lot of it has to do with you know what mary says we we can't heal until we acknowledge our traumas and stop 100%. being traumatized we can't even yep. start
1: to heal yeah and germany is a country they apologized there were reparations there were payments, there were, there were museums, there was, there. I mean, they did everything they could to erase, like, not erase, but change, Acknowledge, moving forward. Acknowledge, thank you, moving forward. And that's the difference. That is one of the big differences. We as a country have never acknowledged this. Mm-hmm. Damn. 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 And Damn a whole. And is it too
0: late? Uh, you know? Fuck. Uh,
1: let's, let's hope not. Let's hope not.
0: Yeah, it's never too late to work towards it, at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the episode this week. Join us next week for chapter six and seven. Chapter six is called We Hold These Truths. And uh, chapter seven is called The Precipice. There's pages 101 through 140. It'll be a little bit of a longer episode. We only had 25 pages today. We've got 40 next week. So uh, it's just the way the it's just the way the cookie crumbles. It's just the way the book is split up. Um, <laughs> so hang with us. But uh, I I appreciate everyone listening. Please buy the book. Listen to the book, especially these past chapters. I mean, read the whole thing. It's
1: just so well written. And and everyone, truly, I know you know with uh, Donald suing Mary, a lot of you are out there. I can see your comments. You know, how can we support Mary? What can we do? It's really truly as simple as so you can buy her book. And I know that sounds crazy, but to have that support, both you know. In um, uh, in community and monetarily, it, it means the world to her right now. So if you haven't purchased a book, go out and do it, download it, get a hard copy, whatever you need to do.
0: Yeah, especially because I want you to read her detailed history of the Tulsa Massacre. We didn't, I, you know, we didn't cover it in this episode. We covered the Tulsa Massacre, but the the, the detail she goes in uh, is is very important and it's absolutely necessary reading. Um, and, you know, so definitely go out, get the book. Um, we appreciate that. And uh, if you have any questions for Mary about this book, you can, and you're a patron, you can pop on the Patreon page. There's a form where you can enter your questions for episode seven uh, in a few weeks where we're going to have Mary come on and, and answer your questions. So thanks for being a patron. Um, and we appreciate your time. And do you have any final thoughts, Dana, before we get out of here?
1: No, just, you know, oh, the, some of this stuff is hard that we're talking about. And so make sure you do something good, kind for yourself after you listen to these episodes, cause they can get heavy. So make sure you go out for a walk, take a breath, have a glass of wine, cookies and milk, whatever you do, and, and just breathe, take a breath.
0: Yeah. Pet a, pet a pod pet
1: yep hit a pod pit
0: all right everybody until uh actually till tomorrow on the beans we'll see you there please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been allison gill and i've been dana goldberg and them's the beans no nope no (laughs) 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 you're no (laughs) and this is the msw book club The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.